It is no surprise to anyone that many people are going through what we would call a mental health crisis because of the pandemic. In Canada, we hear that there are many more opioid-related deaths. We hear the number of COVID hospitalizations and deaths, but we don't hear the numbers of people who are seeking help with their mental health or are calling suicide helplines because they are really struggling. I don't think the pandemic is the cause of this. I think the pandemic acts like a magnifying glass that reveals what's been there all along. And it's not a mental health crisis. It's a spiritual crisis, a crisis of faith. But add to that the individualistic culture we live in, the culture of fear, doubt, and mistrust. One could argue that this is what leads to abortions. This is what leads to people seeking medical assistance and dying. Perhaps this is also what leads to people losing hope and turning to drugs and gangs, and maybe even leads to domestic violence and gun violence. That is why this year, the March for Life in Canada, which took place on May 13th, Ascension Thursday, and on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, had the theme, You Are Not Alone. The unborn are not alone. The pregnant mother is not alone. The lonely senior is not alone. No one should be alone. Let's be there for each other and remember that Jesus promised to be with us always. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and with me today is Jermaine Bagnall. Sorry, you guys. I know you guys love Billy. Billy's not here with us, um, but you might remember Jermaine from two weeks ago. Jermaine is a producer uh, here at Salt and Light Media, and he has been contributing with a new segment that we're calling Book Ends. And so, Jermaine, uh, it's good to have you with me today. Oh, it's great to be back. I, I know folks love Billy, love his amazing and interesting <laughs> you can't questions. Can't compete with Billy, yes. Uh, you know, there's no point in competing, but what I do bring are a couple of fun books for people to share with their families. Yeah, and we're going to get to hear about that a little bit now. Jermaine, today, um, Mark Matthews, who's our Hollywood undercover missionary, is going to be joining us to tell us... Uh, he always kind of finds something that's happening, something good that's happening in Hollywood or something that we should pray for that's happening in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, but I think today is going to be a little, a little different. I think he's going to tell us a little bit about something that's, I'm going to say mystery. Maybe that's enough. Oh, mystery I'm I'm and Hollywood. I'm definitely interested. There you go. Mystery and Hollywood. I hope I'm not letting people down. Anyway, so that's uh, uh, what's good in Hollywood in about 10 minutes. And then, Jermaine, we're going to talk to you. Uh, you have some books to tell us about. Yes, I, I have a, a couple of interesting ones. Again, these ones are family friendly. The first one is centered around a rooster and Jesus. Oh, interesting. Yes, okay. yes, not 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 what one would expect. And the other is helping navigate emotions. Okay, good. So these are so it sounds like it's they're both appropriate for children. Um, so family friendly, family friendly reading with Jermaine. And that's in about in about fifteen minutes. Uh, Jermaine's just going to hang out. And uh, um, now, Jermaine, let me ask you: How much do you know? about the Roe v. Wade court case in the United States? Uh, I know a little bit uh, about it, the Roe v. Wade. Um, 
isn't that what set the precedent around abortion? abortion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the Supreme Court case that legalized, essentially legalized abortion in the United States. And, but I think that most people are like you, like they've heard Roe v. Wade. You kind of sort of know it's like you legalized abortion. It was 50 years ago. It was that Um, long ago. Yeah. 1973. Um, But they don't know much more. Like, do you even know who this Jane Roe woman was? No, I, I know nothing. Like, you don't know who, like, wait, like, who are these people? Like, what was the, it's a bizarre story. Um, But there's a film now that tells the story. It's called the, it's called Roe v. Wade, the movie. Um, And it's written and produced and directed by, uh, Nick Loeb, who I'm, I'm sure people are not familiar with him, although if you look him up, you'll see that he's been in a, in a few films. Um, but it's okay. his first uh, directing uh, role in a film. Is this You'll, going to be available? It's already available. It's, it's, no, it's a bit. Well, I don't think it'll be well, in the theaters. It'll be, it's available. It's streaming. People can watch it on streaming. But um, okay. I'll, I'll be telling everybody about this because I'm actually going to be speaking with Nick Loeb later on in the program. Um, so he wrote it, he produced it, he directed it, and he also stars as the film's lead character, Dr. Oh, Bernard. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So this doctor, the character he plays, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, was a medical doctor who co-founded the National Abortion Rights Action League in the United States. Um, notorious abortionist, 70,000 abortions or something like that. But there's a twist in the story, so I'm not going to give it away. Um, oh, people okay. need to uh, people need to to listen to the interview, but also uh, look up the film Roe v. Wade. Uh, and yeah, it's streaming. Um, Jermaine, you can go off and 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 pay four ninety nine or however much it is on. Excellent. I'm sure it's streaming everywhere. You can you can stream movies. Um, well, I'll, I'll tune into the interview. Then I'll watch the movie. Then you'll watch it. So, yeah. So that's a, a conversation with a writer, producer, director, and actor, Nick Loeb. Um, that's going to be in our second half hour in about 25 minutes. So, yeah, don't want to miss that. And then you might not remember, Jermaine, but um, our listeners might remember a young singer-songwriter that we met last December. I thought it was we met her like a year ago, but it turns out that she was in the show for the first time in December. Her name is Hannah Schaefer. And she is, un, I was going to say unusual in that her, if I can say, quote unquote, Catholic music mm-hmm. is very, it's kind of dance music, sort of very oh. upbeat. Um, I like her sound. She's got a very good sound, very unique sound, Hannah Schaefer. And uh, she's been busy. She's been writing music and recording, and she has three great new singles. Amazing. So that's, a, that's good enough to get her back on the show. Uh, hey, bring you know, fresh music is always needed, especially at this time. So bring it on. I, you know, when we started the show, like twelve years ago, unbelievable. I thought we're never going to find new Catholic singer songwriters every week, and we have. We I'm always amazed at the amount of of really good stuff, and of course the the quality of the music and and the production of the recordings has improved so much over the last over the over the years. Oh, that's so, great! Um, and and to think that Hannah Schaefer, I'm going to say she's only 24 years old. So when we started recording this show, when we started producing the Salt and Light Hour, she was only 12. 
<laughs> who knows maybe maybe the music from the salt and light hour was a big you inspiration so? for her oh hey. i'm gonna have to ask her that one day anyway yes. um hannah uh as i said she's been recording she's got these new singles so we're gonna be catching up with hannah schaefer at the end of the program and speaking to her about her new song so that's in about 40 minutes and reminder if you're not going to be around uh towards the end of the show remember that you can always go to our website slmedia.org you can click on podcasts and that's where you can listen to all our programs and you can also subscribe to the salt and light hour wherever you get your podcasts so you can get the show delivered right into your device um so jermaine we always start with a song so we're going to start with hannah schaefer's new single it's called crown Hannah Schaefer with her new single crown. And we're going to be speaking with Hannah Schaefer in about 40 minutes. So I hope that you can stick around for that. Now it's time for what's good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Hello, Pedro. 
Mark, welcome back. Thank you. Always, always a pleasure to be here, to be on the show. So Sweet tell you about what's good in Hollywood. What's good in Hollywood. I guess what's good in Hollywood is that you, you're going to a, a different church. What's going on here? Well, we have, so as you, as you I might've talked about this, I've kind of always had a bit of an Eastern bent uh, to my, to my spirituality. I've spent some time at uh, Madonna house. I've got Eastern European ancestors. Okay. Um, and so anyway, there's a new uh, priest in town. His name's father, Michael O'Loughlin. Oh yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, he, he's a bit of a famous podcast. Yes, he, is. he started a, a podcast called Catholic stuff. You should know. Um, and I actually, he actually began it. I think when JP two said, Hey, we should start using, you know, the media mm-hmm. and all its mm-hmm. forms to, to evangelize. So, um, so anyway, yeah, so some friends invited me to it. And so I've just been going to the, the uh, Byzantine mass, you know, okay. a, f- a few, a few more times than usual. Okay. Um, and so there's this line in the liturgy that kind of hits me every time I hear it. And I just, I, I love it. Um, and it's basically let us who represent the angels, or it's, it actually says, let us who represent the cherubim yeah. set aside all earthly cares. And I was thinking about that this last Sunday. Huh. And I'm just, it's kind of like, and they say this kind of before, you know, the, the Eucharistic before, you, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, I'm like, yeah, what else do we set aside all earthly cares? Oh, yes, movies and, oh. and, 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 you know, novels and video games. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's one of the reasons that we like them because it takes us out of our everyday experience and hmm. into another, into another world. Yeah. Um, and the whole, li- the whole Byzantine liturgy is kind of set up to sort of be a very, different sensory experience you know mm-hmm. so even like the readings are sung uh and in mm-hmm. particular this um this past sunday it was like uh when the jailer awoke and the prison doors were open you know he drew his sword and was about to kill himself thinking that the prisoners had escaped <laughs> you know and i was like i'm like oh this is like a real dramatic opera you know yeah, like yeah, you, yeah, kind of, you know f- yeah feel like you're at an old school uh, opera and so the whole liturgy is is a sensory experience, you know, beyond our, our everyday uh, experience. And Mm -hmm. it's, it made me think kind of, again, a thought that I've had a few times of like, well, you know, they, at their time, you know, were creating this liturgy that was very beyond what anyone else would experience. It's like, okay, well, if movies take us out of our everyday experience, what would the full movie making power of Hollywood, but employed to reveal the spiritual mysteries of the Catholic church, what would that look like? Okay. And, and I, I think it, it's, you know, you just think like, okay, what if, I don't know, what if uh, one of these famous uh, directors, you know, or what if, what if, what if Marvel movies, mm-hmm. you know, all these films like Dr. Strange, um, but Hey, it was done all about the true Catholic Christian spiritual realities. Um, and we, we kind of, we do this in so many other films. So like, you know, Dr. Strange, um, Constantine with Keanu mm-hmm. Reeves, um, what dreams may come, you know, 20 years ago with Robin Williams. Uh-huh. Um, and they all kind of do these, these great jobs of using visual effects and everything to, um, explain and reveal this spirituality, but it's all kind of, there's all errors in the theology. It's all kind of like, yes. you know, all, all, all over the place. And so I would just love to see maybe a, a visual effects film about the spiritualities of the, you know, from the Christian viewpoint, but like all orthodox and correct. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we've, I don't know, the, 
it's it, it's it's a really hard thing to do. Um, it makes me think there there's a new production that just came out from the St. Paul Center. It's called Perugia, okay. the Bible and Mass. I don't uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. No. Um, but anyway, uh, a friend of mine, R.D. Delgado at Beggar King's production, they they attempt to kind of try to do this to sh- use some visual effects and good cinematography to reveal the spiritual realities that are go on going on during Mass. Um, and, you know, and I, I think it's a great job, you know, they, they take some good steps towards it, but I, I really, I really want to see like the experts in Hollywood, you know, make, you know, visualize what's happening, you know, during, during mass. Hmm. So, so if, if anyone can really do it, I actually do think it's Scott Derrickson, who is the director. Uh, he directed the exorcism of Emily Rose. Okay. And then he also went on to go do uh, Marvel's Doctor Strange, uh-huh. um, which is just a huge visual effects film, but he's he's been quoted as saying that he's one Chesterton book away from crossing the Tiber. Um, he, he's, <laughs> really? He's, he, yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's I think a, a devout Protestant, um, but he's always kind of like been very sort of like Catholic. Sen- uh, Catholic sympathetic in, in sense of some of his sensibilities. Hmm. So, um, so, so, you know, I just kind of, I'm like, Hey, I, I'm Scott Derrickson, you know, we're praying for you, you know, please, please make this film, you know, that portrays the, you know, spiritual realities from Interesting. A, a I, so, so is your idea, what, uh, just so that to help understand, maybe our, our, our listeners are, are not in case you're, they're not following, um, is your idea that because there's a there's a supernatural reality that's happening um, during the mass, whether it's the cherubim, the angels, yeah. you know, coming in to sing the 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 holy holy, or or even the 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 the, the transubstantiation that's taking place, like the, that's what you mean? That sort of y- yes, yeah. How like so? There's this whole, I guess, you know we as Catholics believe in a whole spiritual reality that, you know, transcends our sensory, you know, perception, you know, that, that our reality is just one reality, but there's, you know, there's heaven and hell and and purgatory and all these other, you know, spiritual realities. Um, And I want to see those. I want to see what they look like. What would the mass look like if we could see behind the veil? That's what exactly. You're yeah. Yes. What would what could the mask look like yeah. if we could see behind behind the veil? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's a it's a whole art of how do you how do you put spiritual realities that transcend visual form into visual into form? visual form? Yeah. It, yeah. 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 Interesting. And Scott Derrickson is the guy. So I need. I think you need to go and do some undercover work there, Mister Missionary. I, I and, will. Uh, and, I will and go push and him across him. the Tiber. I'll push him across the Tiber. I'll fund him with a hundred million dollars and we'll make this awesome, awesome film that shows what's going on, you know, in mass. Maybe, you know, maybe with- there are some listeners that can give you, help you financially there. And, uh, and then, yeah, we'll pray for Scott Derrickson um, yes. and for all the artists that come up with these things and, and the executives that are funding. Well, and, them. And, yes. And, and, and yeah, that's a message to executives. Like, Hey, if, if, if this is done well, we will pay to see this, yeah. you know, but it's got to be done well, high yes. quality. Interesting. So, and there's got to be a yeah. good story too. So you got to figure that one out if it's going to be a film. Anyway, maybe it's a video game. Um, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Okay. That's very interesting, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your vision with us today about something that could be good coming out of Hollywood. Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary. You can follow him at H U missionary. 
Hi, my name is Steve Bell. I'm a singer-songwriter from Winnipeg, Canada, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro, and I want to hear from you. You can email me, pedro at slmedia.org. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And now it's time for... Book Ends with Jermaine Bagnall. Jermaine, that's been sitting patiently there waiting to come back and tell us about these these books. I'm starting to wonder if all you read is children's books. I mean, they're good, right? I know. It, it, it would seem that way, like uh, back-to-back weeks of, of children's books. But I read such a broad range of stuff. I, I just have to pick, okay, what's going to appeal to the most amount of people? Like yes. maybe others wouldn't have appreciated the, the academic book I was reading. So we opted to go here. <laughs> the, the book uh, on bioethics. Um, uh, I'm going to say that I think that there might be a lot of families or people that are from families that listen to the program. So I think that they would appreciate uh, these, uh, these tips. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the rooster and Jesus. So, so tell us about the books. Yeah. So firstly, welcome everyone to another edition of Bookends. Uh, so I have two books, both geared towards kids. Uh, the first book we're going to take a quick look at Look at is called Petook, The Rooster Who Met Jesus. I know, I know, that's a very <laughs> unexpected title and premise, but just like you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, don't judge a book by its title either. Well, technically we're Catholic, so we shouldn't be judging at all. So we'll just stick with that. <laughs> I, I, I digress. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, the book is definitely for younger readers, probably around early elementary school age. Mm-hmm. Uh, the preface of the book, um, it was written by the illustrator, uh, Tommy DePaula, and he gives the book a little bit of context. Uh, he notes that the text was originally written by Carol Hauslander, an English writer that was born in 1901. Okay, yeah. Yeah, interesting. yeah. And, and right. she died in 1954. And the interesting thing was he didn't get introduced to her work until the year after she died. Uh-huh. And he always wanted to create something with it, which didn't actually happen until 1988. Uh, and the book that I have is actually the, the most recent republishing mm-hmm. uh 2021 by ignatius press so that's a bit of backstory um the story itself uh is actually a bit of a two-in-one one is the story of the life of Petuk and his family so Petuk is the re- rooster and is his encounters with jesus both up close and at a distance okay. and then on the other side it's actually an easter story all right okay i know i know right okay, uh so nice. in the er- early part of it uh so Petuk uh, has an early encounter with Jesus when Jesus is a child. And, you know, as a rooster, he sees this little boy approaching his his mm-hmm. his freshly hatched chicks. Uh-huh. And there's a bit of nerves and little anxiousness, but he gets a sense that there's a kindness and gentleness and a love from this young boy. And he's just so excited about it. And and he crows out of out of joy. Uh-huh. And later on the book, there's uh, a great artwork that depicts both the rooster with his new new batch of chicks but in the distance you see what's happening in calvary and you hear about okay. the rooster crowing again yes. and so it's kind of this this interesting almost like a metaphor because you know like at one point peter hears yes he denies jesus three times and here's yes. a crow rooster so it, it they do this interesting job of kind of tying this this rooster to to jesus's yeah, life yeah. it's almost like um 
almost like a foul version of Forrest Gump, how he's in just all these yeah. historic moments. No, like but it. yeah, yeah. Cool. and yeah, it's really interesting. And the artwork is is beautiful, and uh, there's a lot of symbolism within it, like just seeing crosses come up in different places okay. within the vineyard and that sort of stuff. So there's a great chance to have like a discussion with with your with your child as you're reading along. Good, nice, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the second one is called. Uh, it's from a series called How to Handle My Emotions, and the first release in this series is called Anger. So children are are learning how to to manage and ha handle their their anger. It's uh, written by a trio of women uh, from France. My apologies if they hear this: uh, <laughs> Ségolène de Noël, Gaëlle uh, Tetrez, and Violine Moulière okay. are the authors, and it's illustrated by Caroline Modeste. Uh -huh. And it's a, it's a bit of a compilation book. It's made up of three stories about children channeling and anger. Uh, it, it shows a roadmap that has guided steps to help children recognize their emotions okay. and manage them with good habits. And it's not saying, you know, anger is bad. It's just saying it, it just is. So here's yeah. how some steps on how you can navigate it and okay. use it for good. And, and very importantly, there's also explicit explanatory pages for parents to help their children. Okay. Uh, so it's really nice. great. And, and yeah, and within the three stories, it helps uh, set up these situations that children are going to have to navigate at some point, whether uh, navigating somebody who cheats at a game and the kid loses their, mm -hmm. their, their item, um, navigating playing video games and time management, mm -hmm. or dealing with a bully. You know, so these are the scenarios that it sets up. And within the stories, the children learn the physiological signs of their anger, their okay. racing heart, their burning cheeks, their tightening chest. But then they also help um, identify what children may want to do with these looming emotions. So instead of shouting, lashing out and breaking things that the kids are empowered right. yeah. with tools. Um, and in the book, they refer to as their toolbox of virtues to help manage their anger. Okay. So a child learning temperance, you know, things like that. Okay. And, and again, they stress that anger isn't a bad thing, but neither is it a good thing. It, it just is. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, totally. it's explained that it's an energy that we've been gifted that needs to be harnessed just like anything else. And they do a great example. Uh, they have a, a great example. Uh, within the book, they talk about St. Teresa of Calcutta. Okay. She was angered at the injust injustices she saw. She asked God for guidance on what to do with that anger, then found her path by helping mm -hmm. others. And, you know, she wasn't like tipping things over but right. she used that as fuel to to do good okay, so it's, yeah it's a really interesting uh duo of of books that that provide um a lot of uh, just a lot, yeah just a lot of tools for kids i yeah, think that's really so, important to help in, in empower them sounds like it now would you say that they're both for younger younger children or is the the anger one made for older kids uh, definitely younger younger kids um they actually said within the books it's you know it's geared towards like seven and up okay but let's be honest even as adults we too can learn how to better yeah, deal with true. our anger so that's there's something true. for everybody in yes. these in these books i know uh, but, but okay, yeah they're, yeah they're definitely for for younger and it and i think it it sets up the stage for a bit of q a between parent and child so okay very good a couple, so, and couple of good that, reads for this week yeah and you said they're both published by ignatius Correct. These are both Ignatius uh, press releases, both brand new for 2021. All right. Very good. There you go. Uh, book ends with Jermaine Bagnall. Thank you, Jermaine. Jermaine Bagnall is a producer here at Salt and Light Media and host of Working in Faith. And you can watch that on Salt and Light Plus. 
and you can follow him at Jermaine Bagnall. Coming up in our second half hour, Roe v. Wade, the film, and we reconnect with singer-songwriter Hannah Schaefer, so stick around. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I think most of us have heard about Roe v. Wade. That was the 1993 landmark Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in the United States. But for most of us, that's all we know. Do we know who Jane Roe was? Do we know what the exact ruling was and on, on what basis were abortion laws struck down? The real story is a fascinating and complicated one of manipulation, activism, and some would say conspiracy. What is true is that it is a controversial story. Roe v. Wade is now the title of a new film, written, produced, and directed by Nick Loeb, who also plays the lead character from whose point of view the film is narrated, Dr. Bernard Nathanson. And so to tell us more, I'm now joined by Nick Loeb. Nick, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So you wrote the film, you produced it, you directed it, you play the lead role. So it seems like this film is personal for you. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I think it's personal for a lot of people. I think anybody who cares about the story. Um, but um, no, I, you know, I, I think it was, um, it was a very difficult story to tell. Mm -hmm. There was a tremendous amount of research that had to go into it. And um and for someone, I mean, I ended up, I wrote the script and I think it would be very challenging for anyone else to direct it, um, right. given the amounts of years of research that went into this, uh, to truly understand the characters that were involved in the, right. and, and everything that happened. Right. So tell us a little bit about uh, the character you play, uh, Bernard or Bernard Nathanson. Um, is, would you say that the film is really his story? I mean, it's a little bit of his story. I mean, I, there, we, we sort of touch on everybody's story in there. So Bernard, um, you know, when, when movies are made, not unlike documentaries, where you can tell about a certain event uh, that's ha happened, when you actually tell a, a, a movie or a narrative feature film, mm -hmm. uh, you have to tell it with characters, right? People yep. want to follow a storyline through characters. And so we felt that Bernard Nathanson was the best person to tell this story. And the reason is we wanted to have some sort of balanced approach. And Bernard really was on both sides of the argument. He was instrumental in getting the laws passed as one of the founders of the National Association of Appeal Abortion Laws. He was the biggest abortionist in American history, uh, overseeing over 70,000 abortions. And then later in his life converted and, and became mm -hmm. pro-life after being pro-choice. So, you could see both sides and he could tell the story from, from both points of view. And I think that was sort of interesting um, to, to have that narrative. Um, and he's the one who came out and admitted all of the things that they did and the truth that happened. And, and I think we found the most information with Bernard. And I guess he also gives you that point of view that allows you to net to, to have that narrator because you chose to wrote it so that it the, a lot of the film is narrated clearly from his point of view were those quotes or things that he says taken from things he's written yeah a lot of it was taken from his interviews his books i mean i would say <clears throat> the majority of the dialogue in the movie uh is literally word for word whether they not even just from him from everybody whether they come from transcript or uh books or letters or speeches or interviews 
uh, we wanted to be as accurate as possible uh, when making this movie because it was so controversial. We knew we were yeah. getting criticism. Yeah, it is controversial. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've said that, that you don't think that it's necessarily a pro-life film, that you're trying to take a balanced approach, but that, that you just laid out the facts, right? So, but I think it's hard to watch it and not notice all the pro-life or anti-abortion arguments that are being laid out throughout the film. Um, and I, I would say that that's done on purpose. Do you think that had some of those arguments been presented in the actual court case, Roe v. Wade would have had a different outcome? You know, I, I don't know. Um, and I, I think I think the challenge at the time, well, first of all, the conspiracy with the court case is that uh, the whole court case was bizarre. And, yeah. and um, it, it literally went from, <clears throat> you know, a three-ring circus with three judges listening to something in Texas with no witnesses, no evidence, no testimony, mm-hmm. <clears throat> no appeals. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, automatically to the Supreme Court, Again, with no evidence, no witnesses, it was just two people arguing with nothing and then decided. And um, yes, if there was evidence and all of that introduced, would have it changed? I don't know, because I think at the time, you know, people don't realize that during the time there was such a massive movement going on in America at the time, which was the women's movement, and really had a tremendous impact and influence completely orchestrated by the media that influenced the judges into their decisions. I mean, the judges even changed their decisions based on yeah. the media and the pressure they got from the media and the family when deciding on this case. Again, that again, that had nothing to do with law, facts, evidence, or testimony. Right. So, yeah, and I think people would say that it was a, a political a political case. Um, one of the things I, I appreciated about all the, some of those arguments, or or one of the way you chose to tell the film is that it's that you make it clear that the unborn human is a person. And I think that's a fairly recent thing in the pro-life arguments um, that that's really the argument that it's not whether it's a life or a human being, it's whether it's a person and whether that person is protected by the constitution. Do you, do you think that that's the real question here, that that's what's at stake? Well, I mean, I think legally, sure. I mean, if you want to go, you know, follow the constitution, but if, you know, you know, I don't think you need personhood. I mean, I think personhood no. is a great argument. The justices talked about personhood during, <clears throat> during the case in 1970, 71 and 72. Uh, and they brought up those questions. Those questions were addressed then. Yeah. Um, but if you look at our preamble, I mean, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right to life. It doesn't say, you know, um, and so I think that, yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, it's. It, I think it's semantics. I think it's. It's plain. Okay, words no, that's fair. That's fair. What our law, what our law does, and, and what our legal system always does. And sure, a, a person is a, is a. A person is a person. A person is a life. A person is a human being. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, to say a person is not that is is yeah. just you know, just, just playing with words to get what you want. Yeah, here the reason why I'm asking is because here in Canada, of course, we've been having the same conversations forever, and the, the distinction that the Canadian Charter of Rights makes is that. Yeah, it's a human being, but a human being does not have rights until they are born. At that moment, they become a person. So it's it's semantics or arbitrary, but but it seems that that is the big argument here. That if it can be proven that a that an unborn person is a person, and I and I agree with you. When have you met a human being that's not a person? Um, um, I mean, and, and, and at the end of the day, <clears throat> and if you say they're not a person, I mean, I mean, what are I mean, they're what are they? Yeah, human being. What are they going to become? I mean, they're not going to become a giraffe. No, no, it's, a, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. Whether a human being cannot be a person protected by the law. And that's the distinction. And I was, uh, I was surprised to hear in the film that it sounds like the U.S. Constitution 
did protect or does protect unborn persons? Well, the unborn persons actually, interestingly enough, are protected in a tremendous amount of states in the United States for many other different things, with the exception of abortion, whether it's yes, the unborn victims of violence, rights, yep. court law. I mean, they're protected today. I mean, imagine um, if, if, if I'm driving drunk uh, and I hit a pregnant woman yes. uh, and I kill her and her baby, I can go to jail for killing two people. Yes. Well, why if it's not a person? Yes, you're right. Yes. Yes. So it's either, I mean, I think you have to decide it's, it's either, it's either a person in, in all cases or is it well, not a person in all cases. And exactly. I think you can't, you can't choose. And that's, and that's where the, the challenge of the law is. But I think, um, you know, I think the challenge is most people back then didn't even realize it was a human being. Hence not a person because we didn't have the technology back then right. to really understand. And even when I grew up in the eighties and the nineties, I didn't have access to the internet or technology and I was just taught it was a clump of cells and there was no human being. Yes, I know. I know a lot of people still hear that. Um, I, I think it's obvious what, what your hope is for the film. You want people to watch it. You want people to, to listen to, to the facts and, and go and find out more. You actually have a fact check, uh, fact check uh, section on your website. Um, do you think that Roe v. Wade needs to be retried in court? that it needs, it needs another chance. Well, you know, I don't, I, you know, in our, our constitutional system, we don't sort of retry these types of cases. It'll be another case that would attack Roe. Right. Um, and I think it'll happen. I think it will come one day. I think if you take a look at today's youth in America, that has been, although they are the most progressive youth we've ever had in American history, they are actually trending more conservative on the life issue. Yes. And the reason that's happening today is because of technology. Yes. Uh, and I do have to, out of all the, the progressive ideals that I have um, today in our country that I have the, the actual hope of changing. I think, I think the abortion issue will change in our lifetime. And I think it will be, become illegal because it's a human being, it's a life and, and people are realizing that. And, yes. and that's, that's going to slowly change. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree with you. And, and whether it becomes legal or illegal, I think it'll become unthinkable because that's, people realize what what's really at stake nick thank you so much thank you for speaking with us today thank you for making the film i i, I hope there's more to come from you and uh and i hope that a lot of our listeners are at least intrigued enough to look it up and and uh and uh objectively watch the film and well yeah well listen it's, as you said in the beginning of your podcast you know roe v wade is a court case that everyone has heard of but nobody really knows anything about mm -hmm. so um uh, I think it's, you know, really interesting for people to have an opportunity to find out what the movie's about by, you know, going to, you know, Amazon or iTunes and watching the movie. Exactly. So that's uh, what we hope people will do. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for so much for, again, making the film and telling us about it today. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Nick Loeb is a co-writer, producer, and director of the new film, Roe v. Wade. You can watch Roe v. Wade now streaming on various platforms, and you can find out more at roevwademovie.com. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the program, just head on over to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Hannah Schaefer, with her new single, I Am Yours. Some days I'm all alone and feeling so crushed. This world keeps tearing down what I build up and whispering I'll never be enough. So on those days, I'm casting all my cares onto you, cause you know exactly what I'm going through. 
Hannah Schaefer with her new single, I Am Yours. We met Hannah Schaefer a few months ago, December 2020. At just 24 years old, she had just released her first full-length album, Who I Am, last year, and you'd think that given the year that we had, she would have been taking a rest, but no. Hannah has been busy writing and recording, and she has been releasing singles, like the one we just heard, one at a time. And so, it's a good opportunity to catch up. I spoke with Hannah Schaefer earlier this week. Hannah Schaefer, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. It's so good to have you with us. I'm so happy to be here. So I I know you've been busy. You've been writing some songs. You've been recording. Tell me a little bit about what the last year has been for you. Um, I know you just moved and there's a lot of new beginnings, but it's been a hard year. Yes. Yes, it has. I'd say this past year has been filled with a lot of growing, a lot of um, deeper, diving deeper into faith, into uh, the things that I have to say in my music um, and and trying to bring hope to people who do feel hopeless, who who are struggling. Um, Because I think I think everybody can attest that, you know, 2020 was a very difficult year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel um do you feel that last year was a more fruitful year in that sense? Like like not just that you felt that you needed to put out stuff to give hope to people, but that stuff was coming out, spilling out of you? <laughs> 
absolutely. I, I really do. I mean, when you're when you're trapped in a very small space, <laughs> yes, you know, I, it's it's um, a lot of time to just be in your mind. And for, mm-hmm. for well, if you were to talk to my husband, he'd be like, "Oh dear." <laughs> But, um, you know, it's also a beautiful time of reflection. And I do know a lot of other artists, too, who also felt the same that I have and had mm-hmm. during 2020 is, you know, with with all of the things that went on in the world, you know, not just COVID. Um, it was a lot of things to process. There was yeah. a lot of things to process. Um, and it was constantly in our face, you know, on social media, because as we were quarantined, you know, what else is there to do besides, you know, for, you know, really just be online and and scroll. And um, it just made way for a lot of things to say. Um, It showed me that there was a lot of content that needed to be addressed within our faith and a lot of hope that needed to be shared. But at the same time, I think that you were able to, you and a lot of other people that I know were able to find, uh, I mean, you have your music, you've been able to continue teaching um, online, or, or I'm not sure if you're already teaching in person again. Um, what is your, the, that process for you for writing, for writing songs? Do you, is it always the same? Has it been different? Do you collaborate? Tell me a little bit about how these, I, I guess these three songs came about. Yeah, all all of them, all of those things that you just said is uh, usually a lot of songs start with a feeling, uh, an intense emotion, whether it's, you know, frustration or Uh sadness. Um, But, you know, other times it is just the obedience of, you know what, I Mm. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a song. What do I want to say and really, really think about, okay, um, you know, I mean, it's just like any other practice, you know, if you're, you need to, you need to sit down and you need to do it often. Yeah. The discipline. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, music may seem like fun and fancy free, but it's, it's also very disciplined. And especially when it comes to growing in your songwriting, you have to be obedient um, and, and just understand that not every song that you sit down and write is going to be amazing. Going to be it. Yeah, I know. Okay. Wait, <laughs> let me, let me, let me stop you. Let me interrupt. So then how often do you do? Cause I remember speaking to, you know, like Sarah Hart, who's, you know, like oh, yeah. preeminent know songwriter and she makes herself sit down every day and write. And whether, like you mm-hmm. said, whether it's crap or not, but, but that's the discipline. Do you, how often do you make yourself or, or are you, did you find last year that there was less of making yourself, but more of just, just the organic process happening? Both for sure. Yeah. Every day. I think every day, even if it's just a verse or a chorus, or if it, I do have the opportunity to write a whole song, I, I, at this point in my career, I can't help it. There was yeah. a, there was a time where I, you know, would skip a couple days and I'd be fine, but my heart needs it. It's therapeutic for me. Yes. Um, you know, some really awesome advice that Sarah did give me was to start reading poetry uh-huh, and yes. Oh my goodness. So I have started to read poetry and it is definitely life-changing for becoming a better lyricist. Right. And so, you know, always to be reading something that also really sparks the mind to, to the creative juices. It really gets them flowing. So, (laughs) so a song, let's say a song like, um, turn the ship around. Um, Mm. where would that come from? Does that have anything to do with what's happening in the world? (laughs) 
Oh, well, I first off had always wanted to write a song about forgiveness, a song Mm -hmm. about mercy. And a lot of the time that I was in quarantine, I was reading the diary of St. Faustina Kowalska. Yeah. Yeah. And I love her. She is my confirmation saint. Okay. And I actually never really understood why I picked her. Um, You know, most, you know, for most musicians, it would make more sense to pick St. Cecilia or a a musical, uh, you know, saint. But I just had this strange, you know, um, desire to pick St. Faustina. And over the years, as I've grown in from being a teenager to a young adult to entering into my mid 20s that I'm. So, um, I need her like she's (laughs) her, her life has been such a witness to me in the diary that I've been reading her diary. I'd recommend it to everybody to read her diary. It's so beautifully written and it's just poor. It pours out. She pours out her heart and it honestly makes me feel closer, not only to her, but to Jesus, similar to Mary, you know, and not comparing her to Mary, but that, you know, everything St. Faustina does and talks about in her diary leads me closer to Jesus, to encountering Jesus. So I wanted to write a song that captured that feeling of faith and hope and love and everything that she talks about Mm -hmm. in regards to Jesus and his divine mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, powerful. Uh, there you go. Talking about uh, having to read something and there, and the first song we a- I ask you about is, is, is uh, inspired by something you, you wrote, sorry, you read um, uh, the other two songs crown, for example, is, was it a similar experience? So crown actually came from a, from more of a feeling versus it kind of like this obedient wanting type of direction. It came from frustration. I was thinking about how difficult it can be to be a Christian, you know, woe is me, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. (laughs) Uh And I make, I make fun of myself now, but, um, I went into the writer's room in Nashville and I was like, I want to write a song that talks about that, that, um, sense that heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's, it is hard to be a Christian. And, um, it ended up turning into more of a surrender song. It ended up being, you know, they, they suggested they're like, Hey, what if instead of it being, you know, my crown, what if we say, Lord, I'm laying down my crown at your feet. You know, mm-hmm. you can have, you can have my crown. And then from there, you know, the Holy spirit just took over and helped me realize, you know, wow, it was, um, a very, very silly feeling to have brought into the room, you know, um, but you know, hindsight, but at the same time, you know, it was a beautiful transformation for me to understand the power of surrender that when, when, you know, I, I think the world revolves around me or my pride, you know, that's when Christ is calling us to lay it down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's two completely different uh, songwriting experiences right right there. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I, just in the little time that we have left, just as to close off, uh, why not wait and put out an album? Why put out singles throughout the year? I'm just wondering, curious to know, I, I know there's probably no right or wrong, but wh- why did you feel that you wanted to release the songs that way? Yeah. 
Well, we live in a culture that is obsessed with instant gratification. Right. Therefore, and, and, you know, music, making music is, ex- is expensive. And so for, for us in this day and age to just put out a whole album where, you know, people will be listening to maybe one or two songs and then mm-hmm. skip. Mm-hmm. It's, it makes more sense logically, not only for the business and career aspect of a snowball effect, um, but just for the music, it gets consumed better nowadays by putting out single by single by single because people actually pay attention to every song. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And and I guess if if the time is right, maybe you can you can put them all together and do do an album. Oh, definitely. Um, and the plan yeah, is to put them sure. all in an album at the end yeah. in a couple months for I sure. I think you're right. Okay, well that's good. I guess that means that there's there's more to come, so we're there looking is. forward to that. Um Hannah, we're going to leave it there, but it's been really good reconnecting with you. I I love the the stuff that you're putting out. It, it's so different and and unique. Uh, so I'm looking forward to more from you. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Deacon. All right. Take care. That was a conversation I had with Hannah Schaefer earlier this week. You can find out all about her at her website, hannahschafermusic.com, and you can download her music wherever you get your music. If you missed part of our conversation or if you want to listen to it again, just head over to our website, slmedia.org podcast. Here now is Hannah Schaefer, with her single, Turn This Ship Around. Troubles lie ahead, inching closer to the edge. We're sinking or swimming, heavy words were thrown, turning our hearts to stone. Such a hopeless feeling, we need forgiveness and closure. Let mercy take over. With the Listening to Hannah Schaefer with her single Turn This Ship Around, and that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that if you missed any part of the program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour shows at slmedia.org/slash podcast. That's also where we post links to our guests and artists and any information you might need after listening to the show. You can also get the Salt and Light Hour as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, so there's no excuses for not listening to the show. Next week, we'll meet James Perkins and Ashley Dean of Onward and Upward Worship, and we will speak with Andy Bannister about his book, Do Muslims and Christians Worship the Same God? So you don't want to miss that. I continue to pray for all of you. I hope you pray for us. Stay safe, pray for each other, and take care of each other. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Pours out.
Into a forest filled with healing We can have a new